Hello and welcome to LawPod. My name is Sarah McMahon. I'm a second year law with politics student here at Queen's. I'm also neurodivergent. My specific area of interest on the podcast is neurodivergence and their overcoming barriers to law. To achieve this, we first need to bring awareness to the issues that exist in this area. Alongside me is Dr. Lauren Dempster, Director of LawPod. Lauren, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Sarah. So I'm Lauren Dempster. I'm a senior lecturer here in the School of Law. And as Sarah said, I am Director of LawPod. This is the first episode in a new LawPod mini-series exploring the relationship between neurodivergence and the law. Today, we focus on policing and autism. According to the National Autistic Society, more than 1 in 100 people are on the autistic spectrum and there are around 700,000 autistic adults and children in the UK. However, research shows that police can misunderstand or misinterpret the behaviours of autistic individuals and this can lead to suspicion, inappropriate responses and violations of rights. For those 700,000 autistic individuals in the UK, interactions with police have the potential to be a site of harm. In this episode, we focus on the relationship between policing and autism in Northern Ireland, which, between 2010 and 2019, had the highest prevalence of autism in the UK amongst school-aged children. We are joined by two guests, Naomi Maxwell and Dr. Amanda Kramer, who have written an article on the Police Service of Northern Ireland's officers' training experiences and confidence with autism. Naomi and Amanda, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves? I'm Naomi Maxwell. I did my master's in law and criminology in Queen's about three years ago, I think now, and I'm autistic. I'm Dr. Amanda Kramer. I am a senior lecturer in the school and criminologist. Brilliant. Naomi, we understand that this work originated with your LLM dissertation. Can you tell us why you wanted to explore this topic in particular? Yes. So coming back to do my master's, I knew I wanted to focus on autism in and law just because it's an area that I find really interesting and obviously quite personal. And then I'd find this more into policing because it's the most visible arm of the criminal justice system and the most important in terms of viewing the criminal justice system from the perspective of the community. And so I thought it'd be a key area to look at and very under-researched in Northern Ireland. So Naomi, for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with autism, could you tell us what it is and how it can affect people? Yes, so autism is a social and communication disability and it is often referred to as autistic spectrum disorder because it is in fact a spectrum. Autistic people struggle with different things and to different degrees, but the most common reported areas of struggle would be social and communication, eye contact, understanding social cues, usually a high level of social anxiety. Whenever we say it's a spectrum, it's more of a spectrum in terms of each area would range in degree of the difficulty the person experiences. So social and verbal communication might be quite high for someone as an area of struggle. Whereas for someone else, it might be low and they might struggle more so in terms of social anxiety. Brilliant. Thanks for defining that for us. Um, Thinking about the various behaviours mentioned, can you set the scene for us in terms of what this can mean for interactions between autistic individuals and the police? Interactions between autistic individuals and the police are quite complex. I guess a lot of the behaviours that you might associate with autism could be perceived negatively by the police such as, you know, lack of eye contact for victims who are maybe reporting a crime could be seen as them lying. And 
in contrast for people who might be suspects, people with autism can be quite honest and might actually admit to more crimes or might incriminate themselves. And as well as that, the social and communication difficulties might make it difficult for them to ask for adjustments. So there's lots of elements that can be quite difficult as well as the sensory aspect of the interaction, such as sirens and what could be deemed as resistant arrest by autistic people might actually just be that they're overwhelmed and not wanting to be touched. So there's quite a lot to it. A concept that we used in the article coming from some of the academic literature is the hypervisibility and invisibility of autism and neurodivergence in general. So it's like Naomi was saying that a lot of the manifestations of autism might be hyper-visible in that it arouses the suspicion of the police or other community members, but that the disability itself is often considered to be invisible because the police, you know, don't necessarily know that the people that they're engaging with have autism or be able to attribute the manifestations of autism to being autistic. So there are, especially in the U.S., there's quite a lot of research on this now, as Naomi was alluding to, that the police are more likely to use force against people with autism because of a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of their behavior. And there are a lot of issues around escalating situations because they haven't been given the skills or they haven't been given the training that would allow them to effectively de-escalate um, situations. And actually, a lot of the characteristics of autism are found to match, to map on to the elements of suspicion that police would have in their training handbooks. So it's things like Naomi mentioned, like a lack of eye contact, but there's a lot of characteristics that when you start looking into this, it maps on actually quite well to what the police would be looking for in terms of people having reasonable suspicion or people acting suspiciously. And so do you think there's scope for a change at an institutional level in police training? for recognition of this difficulty in recognizing autistic traits it it almost should go back to the beginning of their training and change at a base level do you think that's possible yes i think that would be something that we advocate for and we certainly it is something that we've um, put into the article that we hope to publish this is absolutely something that requires institutional change and we still don't know enough about the experiences of autistic people who've had interactions with the police. We don't know hardly anything from their side of how they experience those interactions. So what we do know essentially now is just what we found out in the research that Naomi had completed around the policing perspective. Um, but we don't know enough from the other side. You know, this is a really serious issue that needs to be addressed in police training. Thank you both for setting that context. And I think it's really made clear how important and timely, perhaps perhaps how late, in fact, this research is. Um, so on that then, you mentioned the article. Could you tell us what it's about and how you carried out the research? Yes, so it's part of my dissertation. So I was limited in time and kind of the scope of the research, but I did a mixed method survey which was hosted on the PSNI's internal survey software and it had both closed and open text box questions and it had a response of 212 PSNI officers. That's excellent. What were your main sort of research questions then? Like what were you looking to find out? Yes, um, the focus was on PSNI training, what training they're offered on autism and also 
the knowledge and confidence of PSNI officers when interacting with autistic community members. That was the main areas I wanted to focus on. And so when you were completing this research, what were your key findings in what you looked into? So the key findings were that only one third of the PSNI respondents who completed the survey had received any form of autism training and that there was a high demand amongst those who didn't receive any training and that 97% of respondents who didn't receive any training thought that this would be really helpful. In regards to the training that was offered, um, respondents actually felt that the most informative training they had received was outside of the PSNI. And this was delivered by um, organizations such as Autism NI. So um, respondents who had received training, um, 46% felt satisfied with this training. So it's not a big number. And the main critiques of the training they were offered was that it was very basic and generalized. It lacked practical applicability and specificity. So one of the comments that we got from it was that they had been trained to know what autism is and how it may affect individuals, but it was only generalized awareness training and there's nothing significant with regards to interviewing or interacting with people who have autism. Another big critique of the training that was offered was that it was one-off and not refreshed or updated, which is really key, especially because information and knowledge in the landscape of autism is constantly evolving. And what might be known this year will be changed by next year. And there's always room for improvement. There was also a really high appetite for receiving training. So of the um, survey respondents, 97% indicated that they would welcome and wanted to have training. Naomi gave them a bunch of options that they could choose from in terms of what the training might feature and essentially they wanted everything. So one of the, I think one of the comments that came through in the open text boxes was that the training that police officers had received outside of police training was what they found most valuable. So this was usually people that had personal experiences with autism and had sought out this training themselves. Um, One of the police officers had said that um, they went to a training session that I think was put on by Autism NI um, that showed a video that had been recorded from the perspective of an autistic person of how they experienced the world. So they were going around interacting with the world in the way they normally do and what that experience was like for them. So they used effects to distort sound and vision to make it sync with how the autistic person explained that they experienced the world and the police officer found that really impactful and it stayed in their memory and really gave them a better understanding of how autistic people experience the world. One of the key findings I found about the knowledge and confidence reported by respondents was that personal experience is one of the biggest predictors of this. So PSNI officers who had a personal experience of autism, whether that be a child, a friend, a partner, were more likely to report feeling confident and knowledgeable around supporting autistic community members and policing autistic community members, which raises concerns in terms of then the gap in consistency that might be experienced by autistic people if they happen to encounter a police officer who doesn't have any personal experience, who are then less likely to be knowledgeable and have the confidence. Thank you. I certainly think considering that a lot of adults and children who live with autism don't necessarily have a diagnosis. So having a more widely applicable 
way of dealing with uh, arrests of this kind will definitely be invaluable. In terms of your findings, Naomi, is there anything else uh, of particular interest that struck you? Yes, one of the more interesting things that I uncovered was that when asked about personal experience of autism, 11 out of the 212 police respondents um, identified themselves as autistic. And so their feedback was really key in my research. And I really wanted to highlight that as part of, you know, capturing autistic voices and such unique perspective. So of the 11 respondents who identified that they were autistic, um, seven of them reported that they didn't feel like the PSNI had good autism aware practices, which I think is quite insightful. As well as this, only four of the autistic respondents indicated that they received training on autism and there was high dissatisfaction rates with this. The open text comments that were left by these respondents also highlighted that there was a gap in the training and knowledge of autism within the PSNI and that this was something that they felt strongly about. And I suppose one of the key comments that I got in the open text responses was by an autistic officer who wrote, because I have the condition myself, I feel well equipped to break barriers with individuals, but I doubt it would be as easy for other officers. So as you've explained, for your dissertation, the options for doing interviews, for example, were limited due to time availability. In the scholarship you've been reading for this project, what have you found in terms of representation for autistic voices? Very little, unfortunately, especially in the Northern Ireland landscape. There is very little research on autistic people's experience of the criminal justice system and policing more specifically. However, my dissertation drew heavily on research by Crean et al. And their research had incorporated both a survey for the police officers and one for autistic people and their experience of policing, which I think is a really key area that should be explored in Northern Ireland. Thank you, Amanda and Naomi. So, I mean, you've already flagged there a huge gap in an area that you want to explore more. But could you say a bit more perhaps about next steps in terms of what you would both like to see in terms of the academic scholarship, but also in in policy and practice as well? So I guess one of the main things we want to see is more transparency from the PSNI about the training that they're delivering on autism, because as it is currently, the only information that exists is a freedom of information request made in 2018. And it pretty much just says that there is no standardised mandatory training. Um, I think that it's of the PSNI's best interest to have standard and mandatory training, especially given their human rights focused policing. Yeah, so I'd like to see that. I'd like to see maybe more attention paid to autistic people who, you know, are more than willing to offer their experience and their expertise to inform training and the use of organisations that have positive experiences with autistic people, such as Autism NI, to help the PSNI inform their training. It's something that I specifically am hoping, hoping to do more of. Um, so obviously Naomi wasn't able to do that as part of her master's research. Um, and there is nothing in, uh, in relation to policing in the Northern Irish context and autistic people's experiences. So I think it's, it's a huge gap in the literature and it is something that we're hoping to do more research on. So we think, we do think obviously it's very important to get that side of the perspective. Um, and to have that also informing what the training should look like. And how the training is developed. So there's a lot here I think that still needs to be done. And hopefully we'll be able to do more research together. And there's a lot of research still that needs to be done too, as we highlighted. 
And something Naomi and I were talking about is the importance of autistic people leading the research or at least co-producing the research. Um, so a quote Naomi had said that's popular amongst the autistic community is nothing about us without us. So we think that that's key, too, in the research, that it's not just neurotypical people leading the research without having a full understanding that, you know, it's important that the research is co-produced or even just undertaken by autistic people as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Finally, Naomi, you and Amanda are writing this piece based on your LLM dissertation. What has the experience been like of turning your dissertation into an article? It's been a long and slow process. There's a lot of nuances to turning, to making anything into an article. And thankfully, I've had Amanda to help me out with a lot of that. So it's been a slow process, but hopefully it's going to be published soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed indeed. Thank you for joining us today for this important and underrepresented conversation. Please make sure to keep an eye out for the next installment of this mini series. I want to thank Amanda and Naomi for giving us their time and knowledge today and wish them all the best in the publishing of their article. As for Lauren and I, we'll see you next time. Goodbye for now.